Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, yeah. Better than this. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this shit. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Monday edition of the show. Kyle, I got the day of the week right. I'm happy. Congratulations. It's always good to get the first one of the week right and set the tone for the rest of the week, right? Oh, by two more pods the rest of the week, I'm going to be lost. I'm going to be thinking it's Thursday. It's, it's going to be bad. But... um you know what? You know what season it is here in the Carolinas, Kyle? Grass spring. Cuts. It's grass, grass cutting cut. season, Ugh. my man. And so I um, snakes, snakes in the grass. <laughs> snakes. Is that where the... we're going? Is well, we're going? no, I didn't see any serpents yet. Okay, good. But I did. Uh, every three years, I do this really cool thing where I buy a new lawnmower because it doesn't crank. And um, here to it tell you, what? That it doesn't crank, man. It doesn't start up. What's what's that mean? Crank? It doesn't start. It doesn't turn okay, on. Okay, it doesn't pull. turn over. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I don't know how to fix it. I'm not calling anybody to fix a push mower. So I got a new one. And here's the thing, right? I do this every three years, but what I did this time is I bought a new gas can. Have you seen these modern-day gas cans, Kyle? The ones with the nozzle at the top that you put on the rim and push down and it automatically I'm, pours your gas? Yeah, I'm telling you I don't have a clue how to use it. I fiddled around oh, with no. that thing. Bro, I fiddled around <laughs> for 10 minutes, gas all over my hands, <laughs> spilling everywhere. I finally said, F it. And I just went you just straight. You took the, the, the top yeah. off and screwed it right in? <laughs> no, I poured it right. For, I took the nozzle completely off. So like bare, like just the hole for the gas yeah, can. No, I know what you mean. I was, this is ridiculous. I, I, I mean, holy hell, this is not your dad's gas Joseph. can. What, Joseph. Man? You just got to put it in the rim. And it's got that little hook on the edge, right? And you put that on the edge of the screw cap. Yeah, we're going to be uh, FaceTiming this uh, next week when I mow the grass. Well, I, I would love to, but you don't have an iPhone. <sighs> you want to Skype it in? Skype, we'll do we'll our Skype conference it in. call? I'm going to need Call to the help. app developers and have them talk us through it? We'll control you it? It was a struggle today, Kyle. I just wanted a two-gallon gas tank because I always have to fill up the one gallon a million times a year. And, and you got disaster. the two, and it's new. And disaster. You don't, do, you don't do good with new things. You're creature of habit, aren't you? Uh, I don't know if that's true. Not bad with new things. Depends on what they are. I would have thought a gas tank would, or a gas can would have not been too technologically advanced for you, but <laughs> I've been wrong before. If I didn't have gas all over my hands, I may have, may have given you a call on the spot there for some assistance, but that's okay. Well, yeah. I was there in spirit. Thank let's you. let's move on before we get any more one star reviews on this. Yeah, goddamn yeah people podcast. listen. They don't listen to us to talk about lawnmowers, Kyle. Shut up, you square. Uh, that's like the we're going to talk football now. That's damn it! Four hundredth time you've called me a square. Um, <laughs> I've looked it up. I know what it means now. Oh, you do good. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Congratulations. I'm glad I could add to your the, vocabulary. The previous, the version of the square that I'm going to go with is the old fashioned version where somebody, it's like a distinguished uh, type uh, adjective. So I'm going with that. Um, okay. Anyways, Daniel Jones. Want to talk about Daniel Jones? The... No, let's do Montez Sweat first. Oh, Montez. I want to get that one out of the way because I feel like Daniel's got a lot of layers to him. 
right. and that conversation could get a little lengthy. All right. Heart condition uh, was flagged at the combine. Now it was not serious enough for him to not compete at the combine where we saw last year with Maurice Hurst, who was, you know, a surefire first round prospect flagged for heart condition, got sent home, winds up getting drafted in the fifth round. A little bit different here. We got a heart condition. I'm not a cardiologist, so I don't know about the severity or anything like that, but it was right. flagged and he still went on to participate at the combine. And now the news broke on Sunday from Ian Rappaport that it was flagged and teams are going to have to do their due diligence on it. Yeah, I think um, this this was concerning when they put the headline out, right? Mm-hmm. Because the headline was just, Montez Sweat identified with heart condition. And we say, oh, shoot. And you read in and it's apparently this was known beforehand and it was just confirmed, but it's really hard to say what this could or could not do for Montez Sweat's draft stock. The fact that he was able to participate the combine, that's very promising. But that's not to say individual teams may not make adjustments and that, that kind of makes him a little bit more of a wild card than what he even was in my opinion, where, you know, if you just go off the testing and the athletic traits, this guy's great. He's got top 10 player, no question. But then you watch the film and then now there's this medical layer that we don't know how teams are going to quantify it. He's going to be a tough one to stack up. I think unless we get more clarity with combine medical rechecks in mid April and those sorts of things. Yeah. And the challenging thing, like, is I'm not a I'm not a cardiologist, right? And so it's right. funny it's funny how many different things come go into you know the draft scouting process, like you know medical type stuff, legal stuff, you know just crazy stuff that I'm just I mean I'm not qualified to speak on. But when you think about this, the nature of a heart, right? It's not an ankle or a shoulder or a knee; it's a heart. And so you know there's got to be some caution. You know you're going to invest premium draft capital in a player. You know, you want to feel good about that investment and him being the face of your draft and really getting good returns. And, you know, Montez Sweat, based on everything that he's done this postseason, was top 10, top 15 type prospect. And now that's a little bit questioned. And and so the his draft stock's going to lie in the hands of, of team doctors, it seems. You know, I've, I've just realized in the midst of that comment from you, the perfect – parallel to this right because we're not cardiologists we're also not orthopedists so when we hear so and so has a fracture in their back we automatically say oh my god that's terrifying this guy can't go out and play football but like do you remember when tony romos had like the transverse process fracture in his back and blake petty had the transverse fracture in his back and like they went out and played with it the next week Right. So it's like you hear, oh, this dude's got a quote broken back and you assume, well, shoot, I hope he's not using a walker. I hope he can walk. All right. But then in reality, the complexities of these sorts of things and the layers of the degrees of difficulty that we are just not qualified to talk about really make it difficult. Well, all the best. Obviously, the the concern is making sure that yes, his, his health. You know, we're not. This isn't just about football. It does impact the draft, and this is a draft podcast. But please understand the sincerity from Kyle and I that we, you know, we we understand the most important thing for him is making sure that he does speak to the right professionals and his heart is addressed as it should by the doctors. 
Now it's time to talk about Daniel Jones, Joe. Yes, New York Giants quarterback, Daniel oh, Jones. Oh, it just feels destined, doesn't it? You know, the last two Senior Bowl MVPs were drafted by the Giants and Davis Webb and Kyle Aletta. And last Whoa. year's Senior Bowl MVP was Mr. Daniel Jones. What? Are they going to go three in a row, Kyle? And they're all quarterbacks. Yes. So they Whoa. drafted the last two. You just blew my mind. Yeah. I thought, see, look at this. I thought you knew that. I, I didn't realize it was going to drop a I nice nugget there. I mean, that's that's a lot of chains to connect. I'm a pretty linear thinker, right? So I'm not a real smart guy, right? <laughs> but you put you put those together, and then obviously there's some uh, some breadcrumbs here with David Cutcliffe and the Manning family, and the Giants' odd marriage to Eli that just will not die. And I could totally see the quote unquote price being right for the New York Giants, where he's going to fill and fit a lot of the same needs and wants that the Giants have seemed to hitch their wagon to with Eli Manning, and they're continuing to build this offensive line, and they're probably going to go right tackle at some point in the first three rounds of the draft. I still think Juwan Taylor at six makes a lot of sense to the Giants. I know it seems people seem to think right now they're swinging defense, and you can see it too because they've made needs for themselves on that side of the football as well, but... Um, I guess, Joe, let's set the table with what Daniel Jones does well, why there's appeal and go from there. Uh, I think what he does well is, you know, look, I'll start with the stuff that everybody wants to joke about, but he has great size and he's a good athlete and those things really matter. I think mechanically he's pretty clean. Um, he gives you that dual threat ability. He's one of the few guys with, you know, over 2,500 passing yards and 500 rushing yards. So he gives you legit dual threat upside. Um, and I think he executes quick game pretty well. If he can keep everything, you know, within, within the numbers and, and he can slot throws very effectively uh, in rhythm types type of stuff. So I think when you talk about, all right, what does he do? What, what do we have here? I think that's kind of the, the high level look at it from my view. My favorite part of his game is the quick game. Yeah. When he's three-step game slants, some of the mesh point concepts that they're running where they're trying to isolate a single defender and he can throw in with anticipation on those kinds of breaks and those kinds of throws. He can hit guys in stride really well. Uh, as you said, he's, he's a good enough athlete that he can extend plays with his legs. With that said, I really feel like his arm accuracy gets compromised when he's forced off his spot. Um but when he's able to set up within the pocket, I'm a big fan of everything he does within 15 yards to the line of scrimmage. The deep ball is trash. It's right. got to get worked on a ton. And I was curious from your perspective, I have my own kind of ideas here. Why do you think that is? Why is deep balls bad? Yeah, why is deep ball so bad? Um. Well, I think there's a couple of different things. Um, I don't think he necessarily had great vertical receivers at Duke. Um, so I, I don't think that helps him at all. Um, it seems like he has, a, he, he, it takes a lot for him to throw the ball down the field. Like, you know, there's like a gather. Physically. A couple of, yeah. Like there's yeah, a lot yeah. that goes into that motion. And I think because of that, his mechanics are very different when he's having to like really generate some juice behind the football to drive it down the field. 
And I think because of that, it, it results in some erratic ball placement. I think that was the biggest thing that stood out to me was the need to collect and hitch in almost all of his deeper throws. Yeah. Where you see a lot of other guys that can kind of just flip the wrist and get it out there. Uh, when he looks to throw the deep ball, I feel like he lofts it a lot. It's almost like Will Greer in that capacity where these balls aren't coming out with drive and force. They're kind of rainbowed up there, and they get these high arc, and then they drop in the bucket, which is fine, but as those plays push further down the field, you are really challenging yourself to be able to do that with any kind of consistency or accuracy. So I think his ball trajectory really complicates the matter when he's looking to push the ball down the field, especially to the sidelines. Yeah, we got we saw that quite a bit at the Senior Bowl, obviously, but also at the Combine when when they were asked to throw some deeper shots, you saw Daniel Jones like really have to take several. Yeah, he was steps leaving guys forward. like f- five yards inside too, or back towards the line <laughs> yeah. of scrimmage. You you brought up obviously Daniel Jones and his ability to execute quick game, and one of the thing that's things that's very interesting about that statement is this system that Daniel Jones is executing at Duke is not anything like what Peyton or Eli Manning executed. And we get caught up in this David Cutcliffe pedigree with Daniel Jones. And, you know, maybe that some, some thoughts that he has a a pro style system, but the reality is Daniel Jones, the, the scheme is very, very different compared to even what Anthony Boone was doing. And so what do you think about that? Does that, is that more about Cutcliffe adjusting or is that something that, speaks more to Daniel Jones. Probably a little bit of both, right? To some degree. Um, I really felt like the longer you asked Daniel to hold the football, the sloppier things got. And some of that is, you know, again, why quick game is why he's so good. But my comparison for him is Ryan Tannehill. I'm not the first one to make this comparison. The first time I ever heard this comparison, one of our readers made it, or one of our Mm -hmm. listeners made it on the show, it takes on takes. But it really resonated with me because when the primary's there and he's able to get to his platform and get rid of the football, there's a lot of comfort. There's a lot of a lot of things that come more clean to him than when he has to survey the field, read the play, prevent things from breaking down, be aware of pass rushers within the pocket. He's like Dan Hill like that in that area where he takes a lot of pressure on account of lapses in his own judgment and inability to feel pass rushers closing the pocket in around him. So I think if you're looking at from a coaching perspective, how is it not the most responsible thing that you can do to promote as much quick game as possible? Right. If I had to defend Daniel Jones, well, it's also not his fault that he's going to be overdrafted. Um, But how much should we take into account his supporting cast? I mean, I think against Clemson, obviously one of the most talented football teams in college football, you just really got a feel for Duke is out athleted at every single position every single week, usually. And he didn't have a great offensive line. And I think that's why you saw so much inconsistency in terms of him holding the ball and taking sacks and, also, his receivers, I think he had 38 drops over the last two years, if I if I saw that statistic correctly, if I'm remembering it correctly. 
you know, are we, are we considering that enough in our criticisms of Daniel Jones? Yes and no. And the reason why I say yes and no is because we just acknowledged it. But the reason why (laughs) I would also say no is because the good ones to some degree elevate the play of the players around them. If that makes sense. So like Duke, Daniel Jones wasn't carrying the offense on his back, right? Daniel Jones, it wasn't just like, wow, Daniel's like hitting all these throws, like what you saw from Justin Herbert at certain times last year at Oregon, where I didn't think he had a great supporting cast either. I don't think Daniel Jones elevates the play of those around him enough to really say, yeah, he's really being held back. I just think, think he's kind of in line and in par with his support system. Oh, that was tough. You said it. You straight up said it. You said he blends in. I don't know. I, I think two year, his uh, 2017, they had that running back Williams. Uh, I thought was a pretty good player. But I think this year he was, in a lot of ways, he was, if they had any success on offense, it was because of him. Um, but, I, I mean, I was so just trying you, to think. Do you disagree with that take? Yeah, I think he's is I think he is 100% limited by his supporting cast, but I also think that he has his own limitations, but I don't think there's there's probably not an NFL caliber player on offense on Duke's offense last year outside of Daniel Jones. And so I think I think like I'm not I'm going to be very serious with that. I do believe Daniel Jones has his own limitations, but I don't I think when you combine that with no other NFL talent on the roster or on their offense it exacerbates some of those issues. Well, see, this is where it gets interesting because I didn't think I necessarily said anything too abrasive or different than what you just said. So you said he blended in with, yeah, he did. You said, go ahead. All I'm going to say is that several of the games that I watched, I did not watch Daniel Jones and say, wow, this guy is head and shoulders, the best player on the field for his team, for his team, the team in blue. And that's a problem because if you're a first round quarterback or if you're a top 75 player as a quarterback, you have, it has to be apparent. And like, he's missing some really basic throws. He's walking into pressure. He struggles to push the ball vertically down the field. Like all of those sorts of restrictions can exist for me to be like, yeah, well, that receiver dropped that ball on third and 12. Uh, I disagree with you. I, I just, on I Daniel feel like there or, or the perspective. To, to, I just feel maybe you, you really lost me when you said he blends in with the supporting cast that he's right there on par with him because I, 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 I said on there one were hand, times. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I, I th- and I think maybe I, we are saying the same thing then because I think there were times where he was the best player on the field and he was the one reason they won the game and, and specifically Northwestern that stands out to me the uh, North Carolina game stands out to me. Didn't you run for like three touchdowns in that Northwestern game? Three hundred. Like yeah, he ran for. Uh, let me see. I pull it up. One hundred eighty-six yards and he threw for three touchdowns. Three hundred sixty-one passing yards and three touchdowns. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and the Temple. Yeah, his last game against Temple. So there were times where I thought he was the best dude on the field. And then there's other times where I'm like, wow, they're, they're overmatched. And I don't, you know, I, he's, he can't win with these players around him. 
but I also felt in the instances that they were overmatched, he was overmatched. I think that's probably the of simplest way to put what your original question was in my answer. Yeah. It wasn't like Daniel standing in there tall and just drilling guys every single play and just nobody <sighs> no. can catch the ball. It's like, no, well, he's crumbling too. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a hypothetical, right? You can never, we can't answer the question. I just feel like there's some, some worthy thought given to, you know, if he performed like he did on Miami, the same as he did at Duke, then I, you know, I mean, then there's no, no question because the talent's different, but I think he was limited by the players around him. Okay. So aside of the giants, are there any teams that strike you as attractive fits? I, I okay. So we're talking about a team that's going to invest in him as a, like a to be their next quarterback. Yeah. Okay. So this is not necessarily a a, a fit in terms of like I think it should happen, but I'm going to be a little predictive here, and I think he's absolutely 100 in play for Washington. Let me tell you why. Think about the quarterbacks that they've went after: Case Keenum. Alex Smith, Kirk Cousins, very modest physical upside, right? I think yes. Daniel Jones is in in a way in that lineage. So if I was a Redskins fan, I'd be I'd be nervous that this could be a target, especially if you know if the Giants pass on him and they think he's going to be their guy at seventeen. The best, I mean, for a million reasons, the the Redskins should be rooting for the Giants to take him at six. I agree with you. That was the other one that stood out. Uh, sorry, Washington. We hope we don't ruin your day here. Um, do, do we know ahead. enough about Zach Taylor? You know, in Cincinnati, like what's what does he want in the quarterback? I don't know if I know that right now. Well, but, sure, it's kind of a wild card, right? Like, yeah, but if they, I mean, if they <laughs> if they believe in him, so I'm I'm trying to match the need with, you know, like would they do it? And what about with Miami? I'll bring it up. And I, I again, I just one of the things that teams are going to love about Daniel Jones is like his intangibles and that he's going to work really hard and that type of stuff. I mean, I know like from a simple like you don't want him, but from from that perspective in what Miami's trying to build, do you think that he's in play at all? Not being dismissive because you don't want him. Mm, I'd have a hard time seeing it in the first, at least at thirteen, honestly. My expectation really for the Dolphins is that there's a trade back at some point and loading up on draft capital. And then they've got a couple players as assets and they would have two ones at least, uh, two threes, two fours, two fives next year in 2020. It's a lot of capital be able to essentially sign up to give away a draft class and jump up and make a player and still not mortgage your entire class. So, I think that's the play for Miami, but if they were enamored with him, the two things Brian Flores says that he wants is accuracy and mobility. <laughs> I think they'd be fu- I think they'd be fine with Daniel from a mobility standpoint, but I don't think he checks that box from an accuracy standpoint. I think he's much more of a general accuracy guy if he's not throwing in rhythm at the top of his drop immediately than a pinpoint accuracy guy. So I, I really like this idea that you've kind of put together for Miami in terms of trading back, I mean, potentially really far and picking up a, an extra one in 2020. 
you're thinking you're thinking that's probably going to have to be 25 or later to get that one probably yeah. would you trade completely out of the first round would you trade into the the mid 30s to ensure that you get a 20 21st i'll tell you what if we're going from 13 to the mid 30s we better be getting more than a first oh next you're gonna year. get a two you're gonna get a two this year and a one next year for that right for sure more than that you're gonna get that two another day two pick and yeah. next year one yeah you're get, you're gonna have to get at least the day two pick and then the one and another day two pick, whether it's a two or a three. Really sign, sign me up. Sign me up. Yeah. Because that, that gives you, that could potentially give you two picks in every single round. So we think Daniel Jones is, is likely for the giants and Redskins. the Redskins, maybe on Cincinnati and Less than likely, but possible for Miami. Right. I think those are your four likely teams. Maybe if he makes it to day two, how do we feel about Jacksonville? Fine. Yeah, it's fine with me. I don't have a problem yeah. taking him on day two. I have a problem with taking him in, in the first round and having expectations of him being, him being a franchise quarterback. Right, right. Don't you you've made the Ryan Tannehill comparison. I think Tannehill has better arm talent than than Jones. Um I mean not necessarily that it's always a one for one. Maybe stylistically you think there's some parallels there. I I never thought Ryan Tannehill had like a like this type his, of modest deep, arm talent. His deep arm is better. You but think I he, would say Ryan was more of a, yeah, like Ryan was probably better throwing on the move and with his deep ball. So was, I thought his strength was better. But I feel like a lot of Daniel's issues with accuracy stem from he doesn't have a strong arm. So when he's not able to drive the ball, you're going to get more spray and more variance with your ball placement. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a it's a death sentence for QB purgatory on the Daniel Jones thing. But I mean, I. Everything I hear is that this is somebody we need to take very seriously as a first-round quarterback. I've yeah. heard that for a long time. And as much as I think it should go away, as much as he did everything he could to show he's not a first-round quarterback at the Senior Bowl, here we are in the middle of May talking about him as a first-round quarterback. Middle of March. Whatever. I don't even May. know. <laughs> I know I did. You know the day. You know the day, but you don't know the month. Yeah, you knew it was too good to be true. Folks, come back tomorrow and find out which part of the calendar, Joe. Joe gets mixed <laughs> up on tomorrow's episode of Takes on Takes. There's your hint, Joe. It's Takes on Takes tomorrow. That means it's Tuesday. Tuesday. I usually get that so. one right. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you guys enjoyed us talking about Montez Sweat, Daniel Jones. Make sure you come back and see us again tomorrow. Send us your hot ta- hot takes Excuse me, with the hashtag Takes on Takes. At Joe Marino, at Grinding the Tape, Kyle Krabs with Joe Marino. Talk to you guys tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.